How's everybody doing? So we're here, and Julia tells me that uh, we have someone watching us from Nigeria. Sherry is watching us, so greetings to Sherry from all of us here at Bridges. That's exciting. So uh, God has done great things, right? But he continues to do great things as well, do great things in our lives, and that is exciting. And I pray that through... uh, The word preached today and in weeks to come in this new series in the book of Colossians, he will do great things in our lives individually and in us as a church. And I want to begin this new series in Colossians, new series in Colossians, Colossians, the Bible, I want to begin by briefly sharing uh, why I chose to preach from this book in the Bible. First... I knew I wanted to preach from the New Testament, to be perfectly honest, after the often difficult to understand and explain visions of Daniel, uh, I needed a book that was a little more clear, straightforward, less complex. We will find no goats and bears and uh, two-headed thingamabobs in Colossians. Now, I'm just so we're clear, I'm not putting down Daniel. I'm just saying, for me, I need something. What? No. Well, yes. Yesterday, we went and saw some goats at Patty and Gary's house. And so that was great. But I didn't have to explain any visions about these goats. So I also wanted something. Uh, so we're going to the New Testament, wanted something focused on Christ, right? I also wanted something that would. Uh, as our mission statement says, equip us to bring Christ-centered change to our world. Uh, After service, we'll put our mission statement summary back up here. We like the Christmas, but uh, I miss our mission statement being up there. And to accomplish our mission, we must certainly be equipped to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with people in our world. So I thought about doing a study in the book of Acts, because Acts is basically the history of the early church, Uh, Paul in particular sharing the gospel in his world, in that world. I also thought about going through one of the gospels. The gospels are filled with examples of Jesus encountering people, proclaiming the truth of the gospel to the people of his world. So both Acts and the gospels would provide us with many lessons examples for sharing the gospel. But as I thought and prayed about it, I became convinced that more than lessons, more than examples, we, we, most of us at Bridges, myself included, need uh, inspiration, motivation, encouragement to share the gospel. For those of us who've been Christians for a number of years, the reason we don't share the gospel has more to do with our hearts than with our heads. For the most part, we know what to say. We've studied, and if we don't, we can, it's right there, we, we can find, we've studied the Roman road, maybe you know the four spiritual laws, the wordless book, there's many methods, many ways to share the gospel. I like just taking John 3.16 and using that as an outline for the gospel and sharing the gospel through that amazing verse. Also, several years ago, 
I did a series on engaging the world. Maybe some of you are here. I highlighted biblical examples, many from Acts, many from the Gospels, of people sharing the good news uh, with others. So I don't believe we're unequipped in our heads to share the Gospel. It's our hearts that need equipping. We must have a heart that longs to tell people just how awesome Jesus is. And when I realized that, I immediately thought of Colossians. Because Colossians is about the absolute supremacy and sufficiency of Jesus Christ. There's no other book in the Bible which presents such a comprehensive picture of the greatness and glory of Jesus. And I believe it's when we embrace the greatness of Christ, His supremacy over all things, all people, all philosophies, all religions, and more. It's, it's then that our hearts will be equipped and motivated, encouraged, inspired to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ in our world. So equipping our hearts to share the gospel is one major reason I wanted to study Colossians. But along with that, we can't just look for inspiration to share the gospel with others. It can't be all about what's out there. It has to also be what, what's here. We must also seek to expand our own understanding of the supremacy of Christ. To see His greatness and His glory, and in so doing, draw closer to Him. As Paul writes in Colossians chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, Therefore, you know, he said some things, including, talked about Christ's supremacy, As you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith. Seeing the supremacy of Christ should cause us to walk in Him, to live for Him. It should cause the roots of our faith, that's the picture here, the roots of our faith to go deep into Christ, that we might be built up in Him. So as we study Paul's letter to the Colossians, May our view of Christ's supremacy increase our faith in Him, that we might walk in Him in such a way that both our words and our deeds will uh, declare His glory in our world. Would you join me in prayer to that end? Father God, as we come to Your Word today, we just thank You. We thank You that You've given us this, this book, that You inspired Paul to write this letter so so many years ago, and we have it, and we can study it, and we can learn from it, and I pray it will motivate us, it will encourage us, it will equip us and inspire us to represent you in, in this world, to draw close to you, and then share your love, the things you've given and done to us, done for us, share those things with those in our world, in Christ's name, amen. Now, to help us understand Colossians, it's important that we first look at, at Paul's purpose in writing this book. Why did Paul write this letter? So it's a letter, as we'll see, from Paul to the church in Colossae. Well, like many, excuse me, I still have this cough that's holding on, this little thing. Probably, I think many of us have that. Uh, like many of Paul's letters, Colossians is written to address a problem in the church. But before we look at the problem, we need some background information. What do we, what do we know about Colossians? What, where, where did this people, this church come from? Colossians, was the book, was probably written around 62 AD. 
during Paul's first imprisonment in Rome. According to Acts, chapters, if you want to read the background, uh, 23 through 28, Paul was arrested in Caesarea. He was arrested for proclaiming the gospel. But as a Roman citizen, he, w- he was detained, but as a Roman cit- citizen, he eventually appealed to Caesar and was taken to Rome. And in the final verses of the book of Acts, we read this. Paul lived there in Rome two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Which is a great study in itself, Paul's, Paul in, in Rome. And we know that during this uh, two-year period of house arrest, so this is, he's, he's not in a prison, he's a, in a house, but he's detained there. Paul was not only able to proclaim the kingdom of God to people that came, teach about Jesus, teach them about Jesus, but he was also, but he also wrote several letters, including the one to the church in Colossae. So I've got a map here, just so give us a little, uh, uh, where'd it go? Oh, here it is. I've also got this tricky laser pointer that I need to turn on. Uh, so this is, this, is, this is a map. This is an uh, area of Asia Minor, Asia, it was called in the day, modern-day Turkey. Here is, and then this is the expanded part. So here's Colossae, very near Laodicea, and then there's this river that runs to the sea, and here is Ephesus up here. So those are some things to note as we walk through it. So uh, Colossae was located, it's about 80 miles inland from the city of Ephesus, which we've heard of, the letter of Paul to the church in Ephesians. And Ephesus was sort of a big center Colossians, sort of a little town now. It had been a larger, uh, larger town in, pa- in the past, but it was sort of a, a little town now. The Colossian church uh, probably began during Paul's two-year ministry in Ephesus. Because in Acts 19, which is where it records Paul's ministry in Ephesus, verse 10 says, All the residents of Asia which included Colossae, heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. So with uh, Ephesus as Paul's base for two years, the gospel went forth to all the residents of Asia, Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. As people met Paul in Ephesus, he proclaimed the gospel to them, and some were converted. One such convert from Colossae was a man named Epaphras. In Colossians 1.7, we read just As you learned it, the gospel, he's speaking of, from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is faithful, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. So Epaphras comes to Christ in Ephesus through Paul's ministry, then he takes the gospel back to his home in Colossae. So even though Paul never visited Colossae, out of his ministry in Ephesus, a church was planted there by Epaphras and We won't go into it, but probably another guy named Philemon. There's a little letter to Philemon. Philemon was also from Colossae. He was probably also converted during Paul's time in Ephesus. So Paul had a deep interest in this church. Therefore, it was quite natural when a problem popped up, when a problem arose in the church, the leaders, including Epaphras, Philemon, 
would uh, send word, would, as we'll see, go to Rome where Paul was to get his help, to get his input, to get his advice. We know Epaphras visited Paul in Rome because in Colossians 4.12, we read Epaphras. So Paul's writing in Rome, Roman imprisonment. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you. So Paul is, Epaphras is in Rome with Paul when Paul's writing this letter. The thought is Epaphras came to Rome. Here's our problem, Paul, and the result will be this letter. So what was the problem the Colossians were facing that Epaphras brought to Paul? Well, it seems that within a few years of the Colossian church beginning, there were those who wanted, uh, wanted more. Okay, this, this is probably going to sound familiar to some. They wanted more than the crucified and risen Christ. And out of that desire came some false teaching, some heresy, if you will. Now, it's very difficult to determine the exact nature of this false teaching because the letter doesn't address it directly. Colossians is less a critique of error of this false teaching, and more of a positive presentation of the supremacy, sufficiency of the person and work of Jesus Christ. It seems that Paul's method of dealing with this false teaching about Christ is to make very clear the truth about Christ, to accentuate the positive. And I'd recommend this to myself and to others as we encounter people that have different uh, religious views don't go about attacking them, just, ask, just tell them about Jesus. And they, their minds, God working in their minds, they'll say, oh, wait, that's different. So that seems to be what Paul does here. However, so we're not really able to determine the exact nature of the false teaching. However, as we study this letter, certain aspects of the false teaching will become clear. Let me briefly point out a couple from chapter 2. So, we see, so you can see what I mean. First, this false teaching which Paul seeks to counter claims to be a philosophy. See to it, verse 8, chapter 2, that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. Now, philosophy itself is not the problem. The word itself sort of means love of wisdom, the problem is that this philosophy that was creeping into the church in Colossae was based on human tradition and elemental spirits, principles of this world, and not according to Christ. This philosophy was not based on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Therefore, like any Christless philosophy, it was empty deceit. The second, uh, the second, then second, this false teaching appears to have some Jewish legalistic influences. We see this in verse 16 of chapter 2. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. The false teaching is placing value on legal ordinances, food regula regulations, Sabbath, new moon observances, and other prescriptions of the Jewish calendar. Then in verse 18 of chapter 2, we see three more aspects of this false teaching. Let no one disqualify you. I need to slow down. Let no one disqualify you on uh, insisting on asceticism. I said that right. That's amazing. How, how my 
head is a little stuffed up. The false teaching, including the idea of asceticism, uh, which self-denial, self-mortification was necessary. This is the false teaching, that this is necessary uh, to qualify you for salvation. Verse 18 continues, and worship of angels. This false teaching included the idea that it was necessary to worship not just God, but these intermediary beings, these angels. And finally, going on in detail about visions. These false teachers seem to be obsessed with their own private revelations. Now, visions, you could, I'm not pro-con visions, but the thing is, they have to line up with the truth of God's Word, and apparently these didn't. Instead of focusing on the Word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, they were focusing on their person, the personal revelations that they received which they probably didn't receive, or we don't really know what they, what they received and who they received it from. So those are at least uh, some of the aspects of the false teaching that crept into the church in Colossae. And just to be clear, this false teaching didn't totally deny the value of Jesus. Okay, This was more a, a cult, if you will, coming out of Christianity in Colossae. The Colossians were being told that by adding other things to faith in Christ... They could help themselves become more acceptable to God. And with Christ's help, they may make it into heaven one day. This is the same thing that we face throughout the world. Different places, different cults, different uh, even religion, uh, churches, denominations. Emphasizing not just Christ, but Christ and this. Whatever this might be. If you see that, if, if that uh, is being taught to you here or any place else, be warned. It's not of God, as Paul will make clear. So Paul's initial purpose in writing this letter is to combat this false teaching. And he does this by overwhelmingly emphasizing the truth of Christ's soul sufficiency for salvation and more. We'll see the supremacy of, supremacy of Christ in creation, in providence, and redemption. And Paul will also call his readers to a proper response to the Supreme Christ. In Paul's letters, most of the time he starts out with the theology and then goes into the practical. Because of this, do this, live like this. And so we'll see that as well. But even in that, Paul doesn't just jump right into the problem of the church. Instead, as in most of his letters, he begins with what is positive about the church. That's really what we're covering today in verses 1 through 8, which begins with a greeting that includes Paul's positive description of the Colossians. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother. So we're in Colossians now. We've made it. Yay. Paul is an apostle, an ambassador of Christ. Not by his will. He didn't declare himself uh, to be an apostle, and not by uh, some body of believers or some, uh, some group of people, some council. He's declared an apostle by God himself. In Acts chapter 9, we learn that Paul was, was on the road to Damascus, had no desire at all to be, have anything to do with uh, the Christian faith. In fact, he had letters uh, so as he got to Damascus, he could persecute the church. That was his goal. That was his calling, he believed. 
But God, Jesus Christ, confronted him and called him to faith and called him to apostleship. It's really quite amazing, right, uh, what God did uh, to Paul. I think, I think God said, okay, I need this guy, Paul, to do some stuff. And so whether he want, likes it or not, I'm getting him. And that's what he did. And it's the apostleship from God, Paul's, that gives Paul the authority to both instruct the church in his day, the epistles that he wrote, the, the missionary journeys he took, and in our day, we continue to benefit from his instruction through, through the New Testament. For the most part, it's the original apostles who are inspired by the Holy Spirit to write the New Testament. There are a few exceptions, and most think that like uh, Luke wrote, the, he was not an apostle, but he had Paul with, he was a companion with Paul, and so Paul was helping him with that. So we won't go into that. Paul also mentions Timothy, uh, who is his son in the faith, who the letters 1 and 2 Timothy are written to. Timothy at this time is a, his traveling companion, fellow missionary. Many believe Paul had, had vision troubles, affected his ability to write. So Paul probably dictated the letter to Timothy. Paul's the author, inspired by God, and Timothy, the recorder. And they are writing to the saints and faithful brothers, verse 2, in Christ at Colossae. They say, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Though Paul had never been to uh, Colossae, he's never met the Colossians, he called them saints and faithful brothers in Christ. They were God's people. They were saints, holy ones. They were set apart for God. Being faithful not only meant, meant, meant they had put their faith in Jesus Christ, but they were living out their faith. They were walking in faith. And they, with Paul, shared the same father. He, he says, God, our father. We, we both have God. We share this common relationship with God. They were family. And they naturally called each other's brothers and sisters in Christ. But best of all, as I just said the words, in Christ, but best of all, the greatest blessing that they receive, that anyone can receive, and the thing we're going to spend a little time in here, even though it's just two words in Colossians, Paul describes the Colossian believers as being in Christ. Now, what does it mean to be in Christ? Well, I hope some of us, most of us maybe even, have, have at least some understanding of this. Because the phrase, in Christ, appears 13 times in Paul's letter to the church of Rome. Anybody ever heard of Romans? And it's three times in, uh, in Peter's epistle, first epistle. Anybody remember Peter? First Peter? Both of which, so if you're new, we as a church have recently studied both of those books. So we've looked at this, we've looked at this uh, sort of deep, mysterious concept of being in Christ on a number of occasions. But because of its great importance, I'm not going to say, oh, you guys know what it means and move on. I want to talk about it today. I recently heard a pastor explain it this way. He said, take an airplane. You can believe in the existence of an airplane. You can study and learn everything about airplanes. You can trust that an airplane can fly and get you where you want to go. Unless, of course, Southwest. 
He didn't say that because I, I added that part. Just kidding. I'm grateful to Southwest, to be honest, because uh, these guys delayed their flight because of storms that happened last week, so they're, they're here extra time because of that. Give Southwest a hand. My, I get to see my granddaughter for, I don't know, five, more, five extra days? Was that it? Yeah, okay. And you too. You guys are okay. Purpose, point is, but it's when you get in the airplane that you go where the airplane goes and experience what the airplane experiences. And it's when you're in Christ that you go where Christ goes and experience what Christ experiences. Not a, not a perfect illustration, but it, it can be a little helpful seeing, okay, you can, you can have a lot of relationships with this airplane, uh, but it's not until you get in it that, that any of that matters. Same with Christ. In simple terms, being in Christ means receiving and experiencing all that Christ was and is and all Christ has done and will ever do. As saints, believers, we are eternally linked to Christ. In fact, being in Christ is another way of saying you are a believer, a Christian. There are no Christians who are not in Christ, and there are no non-Christians who are in Christ. So I hope we have the basic idea of what it means to be in Christ. Again, those who are in Christ receive and experience all that Christ was and is and all Christ has done and will ever do. But what is that? What do we receive and experience in Christ? Well, it's another one of Paul's epistles, his letter to the church in Ephesus, where we get our best understanding of this. What it means to be in Christ is the essence of Paul's opening to this letter. Remember Romans 13 times in Christ? Romans 16 chapters 13 times? Remember that? 1 Peter 5, 6, 5, 6. Oh, I should know. Okay. A number of chapters in 1 Peter. Three times. In the first 14 verses of Ephesians, Paul uses the the phrase, in Christ or in Him, over 20 times, just in those verses. And all of this, all of what he describes about the church in Ephesus, who are in Christ, about the church in Colossae, who are in Christ, also applies to us, the church in Riverside, here at Bridges. So let's briefly highlight what Paul says about being in Christ in the first 14 verses of Ephesians. As in Colossians, Paul calls the Ephesians saints faithful and in Christ. Verse 1, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Then in verse 3 we read, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. This is huge, but I'm just going to say a word. Being in Christ means being blessed with every spiritual blessing. Being blessed with everything Christ is blessed with. Verse 4, even as, we chose, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. Again, as I was doing this, I was going, maybe we should do Ephesians, because this stuff is amazing right here, but maybe later. Being in Christ means being chosen before the foundations of the world. Chosen for what? To be holy and blameless. To be like Christ. 
to receive His holiness, to receive His blamelessness before God. Verse 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our, sin, of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. Being in Christ means we are recipients of the riches of God's grace. That through the blood of Christ, His death on the cross, we receive redemption, salvation, and the forgiveness of our sins. Verse 9, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. Being in Christ means we, like Christ, can know the will, the purposes of God, which is ultimately to unite all things in Christ. Being in Christ not only means we are united with Christ, uh, but, but that we are united with all things Christ is united with. Specifically, we're united with one another. Being in Christ means we are the body of Christ. Verse 11, In Him we have ob obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of Him who works all things according to the counsel of His will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. Being in Christ means that it's God's will and God works and it's for God's glory that we partake of Christ's inheritance. We receive, this is huge, we receive what Christ receives. We are, as the song says, joint heirs with Jesus. Verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of His glory. Being in Christ means we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. We're given the Spirit. He's a guarantee. And because we're in Christ, and because we've received the Holy Spirit, our inheritance, sharing in all that Christ receives is guaranteed. It's for sure. And again, being in Christ is all to the praise of His, of God's glory. Our being in Christ, receiving what Christ receives, and experiencing what Christ experiences, is for the glory of God. So again, I know we're not studying the book of Ephesians, but I hope this is, helps us understand this glorious yet mysterious truth of being in Christ. That's, that's who these people were in Colossae, in Ephesus, in Rome, and that's who we are. But I don't believe we, today, in our day, think about this concept of being in Christ enough. Being in Christ is foundational to the Christian faith. As Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, if you're in Christ... He is, you are, a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All saints, the saints in Colossae, Ephesus, Corinth, Rome, saints at Bridges and are in Christ, which means the old is gone, the new has come. We are new creatures in Christ. God has done a work of transformation in our hearts. So Paul's writings clearly impress upon his readers, the church, their position 
in Christ. And it seems, at least in his day, uh, people embraced this truth. Archaeologists tell us that many of the nameless slabs or tombs in the catacombs of Rome carried this inscription, in Christo, or in Christ. And significantly, they also included this on the same slab, in pace, or in peace, showing that even in death, tombs, death, they're dying, being in Christ meant being at peace. We see this as Paul continues uh, to greet the Colossians, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. Now this is clearly a greeting from Paul to the church, similar to some of his other greetings. But it's not something we just throw away. Oh, okay, that's a greeting. Hope you're doing well. Grace and peace from God. Praise the Lord. You know, for the apostle, inspired by the Holy Spirit, every word mattered. And Paul isn't saying to the saints in Colossae, you don't have grace and peace from God, our Father, so let me, the apostle from on high, impart it to you. He's saying something, he's saying, because you are in Christ, you're faithful in Christ, you've received and continue to receive the grace and peace from God the Father. Your life is filled with grace and peace from God the Father. God has bestowed His grace, His unmerited favor on you. Therefore, you're now at peace with Him. This is true for all who are in Christ. And order is important here, by the way. There must be grace before we can experience peace with God or peace uh, or peace, the peace of God. Grace, God's work in our lives. God drawing us to Himself. God giving us the gift of faith even. God uh, putting upon us the blood of Christ, saving us, redeeming us, justifying us. All of this is from God. All of it comes before peace. That is our relationship with God. When sinners, those who are outside of Christ, when they believe and receive the grace of God, they become in Christ, where they experience what Christ experiences. That is peace with God. So the question for us is, are you like the saints in Colossae and other places? Are you in Christ? Have you received God's grace and thus His peace and all the rest of what being in Christ means? If so, rejoice, celebrate all you have in Christ. All you will receive, this inheritance that is laid up for you in heaven. But if not, if you're not in Christ, I'd encourage you to get in Christ, if, if I can say it that way. And you do that simply by putting your trust in Him. Receiving God's grace. God, I want that. I want that grace. I believe. I trust in the Lord Jesus. And then experiencing the peace that God gives. So that's Paul's greeting to the church. He identified himself and positively described them, the, the Colossians. And that description continues as we see Paul's praise of the Colossians. Verse 3. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Even though Paul didn't uh, personally plant the church, 
he and his companions, including Timothy, pray for the Colossians. And as part of their prayer, they thank God for them. Why did they thank God for them? Well, Paul gives three basic reasons. First, he, uh, he gives praise for their faith. Verse 4, since, so we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus. Since because of, not since as in time. Paul praises their faith in Christ Jesus. More, more praise will come, but faith is first. Because apart from faith, so uh, if grace, then faith, you know, first. Apart from faith, uh, the author of Hebrews says, you cannot please him. There is no Christian life without faith. And Paul was very specific about the object of their faith. It was Christ Jesus. We hear people say, at least I do, everybody needs faith in something, right? Everybody's got to believe in something. doesn't matter what you believe in as long as you believe in something. George Michael, I can't believe I'm quoting, said, saying, I got to have faith. Billy Joel sang about keeping the faith. Faith is considered to be an important part of a healthy life, right? But the truth is, faith in and of itself has no value whatsoever. Faith derives its value from its object. Let me say that again. Faith derives, gets its value from its object, what it has faith in. When someone says that he or she has faith, the question which must be asked is, faith in what? Faith in yourself? Good luck. Faith that God is above all loving? I don't want to look at anything else, but God is love. That's where my faith is. Faith in faith? If I have enough faith, this will happen. Salvation does not come by believing in belief or even having faith in a set of, a set of doctrines. Not believing that that airplane exists, right? Right? Salvation comes by believing, having faith in Christ, and getting in Christ. When missionary uh, John G. Patton was translating the Bible in the Outer Hebrides, thinking of Sherry still watching, hopefully, helping translate the Bible in Nigeria. Anyway, John G. Patton searched for the exact word uh, to translate believe. There are certain words, I think, when you're translating the Bible, you, you really have to get right, or it could really lead to difficulty. Finally, he found it. The word uh, meant lean your whole weight up, upon. Lean your whole weight. Put everything you have on. So if, if, if this doesn't hold up, you're a goner. Lean your whole weight upon. That's what the Colossians, despite the false teachers, have done. They've leaned completely on Christ for their life and for their salvation. So Paul praises them for their faith in Christ. And then he gives them praise for their love. Verse 4 continues. And of the love that you have for all the saints. For Paul, faith was related to love. As he wrote to the Galatians, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working through love. True faith manifests itself through love. Therefore, the faith of the Colossians resulted in their love for all the saints. 
So love for the body of Christ becomes a sign or even a test of true faith. There are people who claim to have faith. They claim to trust in Christ, but their love for Christ's body is sorely lacking. They say or think, I love Jesus, but I can't stand church people. For that person, according to Paul, their faith is certainly questionable. Love for the brethren, your brothers and sisters in Christ, is a sign of true faith. When uh, Chuck Colson was serving his prison sentence after the Watergate scandal, his newfound faith was uh, severely tested. His wife didn't understand this uh, born-again business. His son was picked up for drug charges, and Colson himself was despondent. But God met him in his ministry. Not his ministry, his misery. He later founded a ministry, but God met him in his misery. A group of Christians in Washington, I know that might sound like not possible, but including Senator Al Q, Republican from the state of, I can't remember, were praying for him. Senator Q discovered an old law that allowed an innocent man to serve the prison term for another, and Q volunteered to serve the remainder of Colson's term. Q's faith was seen as it worked through love for Charles Colson. Colson, however, turned Q down, but he had experienced love from all the saints and was again refreshed in the reality of his faith. It's a beautiful thing when believers demonstrate love for all the saints. Not just some, not just the lovable, not just those like me. Oh, no, just kidding. But even you. Just kidding. This is what made the early church so amazing and so enticing in the ancient world. Slave and free, male and female, Jew and Greek, learned and ignorant, joined hands and sat down at one table. They truly believed that they were all one in Christ Jesus. Now, we're way down in history, and this has influenced the world. At this point in time, this was unheard of, that people from different classes and groups and beliefs and races would come together and be one. It's not an understatement to say that the growth of the church can be directly attributed to the love for all the saints. When people saw, and even when they see today, our love for one another and our love for them, because it flows out as well, they naturally want to become part of that kind of loving community. And I would say this about Bridges Church. Like all people, all churches, there's always room for improvement in our love for one another. But I've often been impressed through the many years I've been here, including up to today, by how the saints at Bridges are willing to tangibly express their faith through love for all the saints. We encourage one another, support one another, we pray for one another, we help one another with spiritual and physical needs. So I want to join with Paul and praise you for your faith in Jesus Christ and how it's seen through your love for all the saints. Amen. Okay. And finally, 
Paul gives uh, the Colossians praise for their hope. Verse 5, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. Notice the because. Hope is placed last because Paul saw their faith and love as coming from their hope. Faith and love coming from their hope. Their hope, again, uh, we talked about this a lot in several of our studies. Hope here is not wishful thinking, but assurance in something that is future. Hope, assurance in what is to come. And in this case, in what is to come, uh, what they would receive from God in heaven uh, resulted in increased faith in Christ and love for all the saints. Now, how does hope and hope of heaven cause faith and love to come forth? Well, uh, as pagans, heathens, idol worshipers, uh, before this, the Colossians had been without God and without hope in this world. There's not much there's not much hope in idolatry. Then came the gospel from Epaphras and Philemon and, and the wonderful joy of salvation and the hope of heaven along with that message. This joy in what they had received and hope for the, what they would receive increased their love and faith. Practically speaking, their mutual hope of heaven would have caused them to come together. And it would cause them to be separate from the world and its hopeless religious systems. We are no longer part of this idolatrous culture. So the reality was they only had Christ and then one another to rely upon. Therefore, both their faith in Christ and their love for one another grew. And spiritually speaking, because of their faith in Christ, they were all new creatures in Christ. They were all indwelt by the same Holy Spirit. They all shared the same hope. And this certainly increased their unity and their love for one another. Therefore, I'd encourage each one of us to cultivate hope. And we don't think about that a lot. I'm going to cultivate faith. I'm going to cultivate love. How can I be more faithful? How can I have more faith? How can I have more love? We don't think, how can I have more hope to think about we can do this by thinking about meditating on not the troubles of this life, which tend to uh, overwhelm us, but on the joys of the life to come. As Paul would encourage us, uh, his readers, Colossians in chapter 3, verse 2, set your minds, set your hope, if you will, on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died and your Life is hidden with Christ in God. This life and its earthly problems are temporal. They will pass away. And for those who've died to self, who've put their trust in Christ, those who are hidden in Christ, hidden with Christ in God, we have the ultimate hope. Set your minds on this, verse 4. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. When Christ appears, either when, when we die and, and stand before Him or when He returns, then for those who've given their lives to Christ, we'll be with Him. We'll be with Him in glory. We'll share in the glory of Christ for all eternity. Set your minds on that. Hope in that. Be assured of that. 
and allow this uh, fantabulous truth to cultivate increased faith in Christ and love for His body. Amen? Okay. I think we can finish real quick here. What's the reason? So, so what's the reason for all that's gone before? What's the reason that the Colossians are in Christ? Why have they received grace and peace from God? Why has their hope of heaven cultivated their faith in Christ and their love for one another? Why has this happened? Put simply, because they heard, understood, and believed the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because of Christ Jesus. And so Paul concludes uh, this section by promoting the gospel. Fourth point, Paul's promotion of the gospel. Paul both reminds the Colossians of the gospel's impact on them and declares uh, the gospel's success in the world. And and when I say gospel, uh, just shorthand for the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, who Christ is, what Christ has done, all of that. Verse 5b, the second part of verse 5. Of this you have heard before the word of truth, the gospel. The Colossians has heard the gospel. Uh, The word of truth, the gospel, the good news is the truth of Jesus Christ. It's true. Christ has died for your sins. Christ has rose again that you might be saved. Verse 6, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing as it also does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and have made known to us your love in the Spirit. So, so, so as we said earlier, Epaphras, converted in Ephesus through the ministry of Paul, takes the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel of God's grace, to Colossae, to the people there. I don't know how, how he did it, door to door, street corner. I don't know. doesn't say. I think, I think it doesn't say for a reason, by the way, because then we would just try to do that. When in reality, we just need to share however we can. Anyway, side note. And at least, the Epaphra shares, and at least some of the Colossians hear and understand this good news of Jesus Christ. And the result is faith that bears fruit. Faith that bears fruit. The fruit is the transformation of their lives. It's their faith in Christ and their love for the saints, their love in the Spirit. And this fruit is increasing. More and more people are hearing and understanding and believing the gospel. But the gospel going and bearing fruit is, just not, is not just taking place in Colossae, it's happening in the whole world, Paul says. Now, now that doesn't mean everyone in the world in the whole world as we know it, has heard and believed the gospel. Paul may be speaking of the the known world, that area, and what he means is the gospel is going forth and will bear fruit in the whole world. Some will believe as the gospel goes forth. There will be those who believe. This has been the experience of missionaries throughout history. It sometimes takes a lot of time, but eventually some believe. Christ's good news is for everybody and was daily reaching new people, Paul says. The Great Commission was being fulfilled. What was taking place in the church in Colossae was being seen over and over again as the gospel continued to spread into the world. And by sharing this, I think Paul wanted to encourage the saints of Colossae in two ways. 
And I think we need to be encouraged in these two ways as well. First, by promoting the gospel, by declaring its, its effectiveness, its impact, and its universality, the whole world, he wants the church to disregard the false teachings, the things that are not the gospel. As he wrote to the church in Galatia, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we have preached to you, let him be accursed. So first, continue to focus on the true gospel of Jesus Christ. Because it's powerful. It has impact. It bears fruit. It's impacting the whole world. And second, I think Paul, by promoting the gospel, wants to encourage the Colossians to continue to share the gospel. Like Paul himself and Epaphras, they too are ambassadors of Christ. They too are called to declare the gospel to a lost world. And so, I think our application is obvious, but I'll say it anyway. As those who've been taught and received the gospel of Jesus Christ, as those who've received the grace of God and then the peace, peace with God, as those who are in Christ, as those whose faith in Christ and love for all the saints continues to grow because of the hope we have in heaven, we too must hold fast to the pure, the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We must not be distracted by false teachings, things that are not the gospel. And we too, as faithful ministers of Christ, must represent Him in this world. We must, by word and deed, declare the gospel of Jesus Christ to our friends and our family and neighbors and more. Just people we encounter as we travel this sod, right? And I pray that as we study the book of Colossians, there's more. This is just the first eight verses. As we continue, I pray that as we see the clear, true gospel of Jesus Christ, that's what's going to come forth and then as we apply that, as we see the greatness, the supremacy of Christ, that we'll be motivated, encouraged, inspired to share His gospel, to share Him with our world. Would you join me in prayer? Father God, thank you again for this, this word, this word from you. Lord, I pray for us, those who are in Christ, your, your saints, Lord, I pray that we would be impacted, not by my words, but by your word, Father, the truth of your word the importance of the gospel. Lord, that we, would, that we would love, that we would have faith, that we would have hope in you, Father, and that we would share that hope, share that faith, share that love with the world around us, that they too might know you, that they too might be in Christ. For it's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, if you'd like to stand with me one last time, I'm going to close this out in a song of worship.